0: Scripture reading this morning is found in Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 15. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 15. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Dr. Jennings has our um, sermon for today entitled, Angels Among Us at the End of Time. Good morning, church and visitors. You're most welcome. Recently, it has come to our attention that uh, there's a situation going on in the Protestant world that is quite unique. They have decided that numbers are more important than the gospel. And Laura has been especially prominent in bringing this to our attention um, but it is true many of the Protestant churches uh, you know the Baptists have many different divisions among their church and uh, a number of their, uh, number of their uh, different divisions have taken up with, with this philosophy of um, playing down Jesus Christ in other words we don't want to mention him too much because that might offend some, somebody so numbers are more important bring in the people, bring in the people and uh, that would include Muslims and Buddhists and all Protestants and Catholics and everybody. And, uh, and r- the aim is a one-world church. And I have a question for you. Have you read Great Controversy recently? Have you read Revelation recently? That might sound familiar if you have. So today, I would like to focus on end-time events in the framework of are angels involved And the title is Our Angels Among Us. Many stories have been documented about angels in the far flung mission field, but how about here in our land? This morning I will relate stories that I have personally heard from the individuals mentioned. Uh, To me, they are very exciting. In the past, I have been a sleepwalking saint at times, and my job is to look at myself and nobody else and to make sure that I'm not a sleepwalking saint. The fact is, the great controversy is swirling all around us. The question is, do we realize it? The latter day rain is falling. The question is, do we know it? The end of all things is shortly to be at hand. Just a cursory look through Revelation and Daniel would tell us this. As the world crumbles, society and financial and every which way, the gospel will shine brighter and brighter, and that's happening right now. The three angels' messages are shining brighter and brighter. Revelation 18.1 is upon us. And I saw another angel flying, coming down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Do we realize what that means? That means the gospel is going to every corner of this earth. At the same time, Revelation tells us in Revelation 7.1, 7, 7, there are four angels holding the winds of strife so that the servants of God may be sealed in their foreheads and so that the gospel may go to all of the world. Then the great event, the Maranatha, the great second, second coming of Jesus Christ will occur. You know, there'll be no army on earth that can prevent it. No social structure, no political structure can prevent the coming of Christ. So what about the angels? What are they doing? Hebrews 1.14 is a beacon light that answers some of the question that I ask you about the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto those who shall be heirs of salvation? I love this. It's a positive declaration to those who shall be Heirs of salvation. Not might be, not maybe, shall be heirs of salvation. This is a positive thing. Here we have a word from our Redeemer that he has sent angels to guide us and to minister us as we walk along life's pathway. Um, Just a few verses as we open our presentation of the subject this morning. Just a few verses from the Bible. Um, Matthew 18.10, take heed... That ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always, what do they do? Behold the face of the Father. So as we go along here, let's remember the angels that we're going to talk about, they came from God's throne. They're ever beholding the face of the Father. That speaks very loudly to me. Then we have another one from Psalms 34 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. There's a promise from our Savior. Angels will watch over us. Another one from Psalms 92. For he shall keep his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. A similar thing. Now it's very interesting to us that our archenemy, Satan himself, knows all about this. For on one occasion he quoted Scripture to Jesus himself in that wilderness. comes in Luke 4. For it is written, this is Satan talking now, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou should dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, Satan, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, numbering three, he departed from him for a season. So even the devil knows about these holy angels that are given this commission to guide us into eternity. Then one last one. When the Son of Man, this is Matthew 25:31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And as we know, he'll come down through the clouds in the sky. It's interesting that he says all the holy angels will come with him. My friends, heaven will be silent for that period of time. Never before has heaven been silent, but it'll be silent then. I have a few other notations here from books that were written about 100 years ago that are harmonious with scripture. Listen into these thoughts just briefly. They were given to understand that God would sooner send every angel out of glory to make a hedge about faithful souls than have them deceived and led away by the lying wonders of Satan. Great Controversy 560. The work, this work keeps the angels very busy. Each has his own specific work to perform. Angels go forth in every direction daily, including Sabbaths, Angels are constantly passing and repassing each other in their upward and downward flight, fulfilling the mission of love. Does space have any barrier here? Tr- my friends, those of you who like mathematics, trillions of miles away, through Orion, up to God's throne, angels are continually passing to and fro. These words are harmonious with the scripture we've just, we've just read. Two others quickly. The angels of heaven do not come to the earth to rule. Neither do they come to judge. Nor do they come to proclaim the gospel of salvation. But rather they use human agencies for this purpose. They are instructed to keep close watch over those who turn to Jesus for help. To surround them and save them from the temptations and difficulties. Where do they come from? God's throne. One last one. This is the ultimate to me. If the curtain could be drawn aside, human beings would see angels passing through the length and breadth of the land seeking to comfort the sorrowing, to protect the impenitent, to win the hearts of men to Christ. We cannot see them personally. Nevertheless, they are with us, guiding, directing, and protecting. If the curtain could be drawn aside, Acts of the Apostles 152 and 153. So on to the stories that are happening now. Do you think that angels would actually stand beside one of our evangelists? You think so? Let me relate a story I heard Sean Boonstra talk about at an Oregon Camp Meeting. He was very humble in this and his recitation of this event, that it occurred to him personally. There was an individual who had rejected the Lord, lost his way, he'd gone out into the world. Things happened to him that were not very good. He decided, you know, maybe I better take, take another look at Christ. Maybe I better take another look at this Christian thing that I used to know. I've lost my first love, that's for sure, but I'm going to take another look. In other words, I'm going to look again he went to a meeting that Sean was holding, evangelistic type meeting. Sean was preaching his heart out. And during that service, this man, it seemed that he was born again. He was born again. He looked again at what he had known for the first time. <laughs> he came up to the front of the auditorium after the meeting, and he talked to Sean Bush and he said, you know, he said, told him his story. He said, You know, I was I I rejected the Lord. I I didn't want anything to do with him, but recently I've been thinking deep thoughts and I, I came to your meeting wanting to hear the gospel again. And he said he said to Sean, he said, Who was that man that was standing beside you up there? Sean said, Nobody. And the man went on and persisted, Who was that man that was standing beside you? And then it hit Sean are like a ton of bricks. Oh, a heavenly messenger was guiding me tonight in my sermon. Friend, that's a true story. Um, do you think angels from heaven could guide two ministers out knocking on doors to help advertise meetings and the gospel story? Do you think that could happen? <laughs> well, Sean has another story. He told us that he and a friend were out knocking on doors in a certain city when, where they were holding meetings, and they had been laboring all day meeting meeting people knocking on doors. Um, it was late in the afternoon, and evening was was upon them, and there was one more house down at the end of the road. And Sean said to his friend, he said, I've had it, I'm through, let's go home. And the man persisted, his friend persisted, said, no we shouldn't go home, we should go to that one last house. We need to go to this last house. And after they argued a while, Sean gave in to his friend and said, okay, one more one more house. Went down to this house, there was a light in the window, uh, knocked on the door, a lady came to the door that was rather distraught. And she said, and they told her why they were there, and she with tears said, oh, she said, I've just been studying the Bible, she said, and I, I I've come to a place where I don't understand the the scriptures. Said I need I was just praying that somebody would come by to help me to understand scripture. So the one in the house and there on the kitchen table was an open Bible. I ask you a question. Were angels involved in that one, do you think? They weren't tired anymore. No, I think that gave them a recharge. Now, do you think angels from heaven would show up in a disguise on this earth? Yes. You think so? Recently, I heard a story that just shook me to my foundation. Um, one of our premier evangelists, Walter Weith. By the way, he now he now has um, he's on Galaxy 19 along with Hope Channel, 3BN, LLBN, and all all these channels that we have, all these organizations that we have. He has his own channel now, um, and um, he he I, I heard I saw and heard him relate a story that is just to me very very profound. I believe he was in a European city. He goes all over the world now preaching the gospel. He's a he's a dynamic man. He's he's just I can't believe his, his knowledge base, history, Christian history and the gospel. It's just phenomenal. He related this story that was just amazing. Um, he was in this city, and it was, it was a city filled with atheists and agnostics, and he decided to hold meetings there. And he night after night he held these meetings, and he noticed a, a funny thing that was happening. Every night the building would fill up, But there was one seat that would always be empty. It was right there. The left to my right, your left front seat, the corner seat was always empty until somebody would walk in and fill it. And night after night this happened. And that individual happened to be a Down syndrome young man. You know, from visual appearance you can tell somebody that has the unfortunate uh, Down syndrome. And night after night he would sit there. One night, the, the crowd became very angry at him and uh, came up on the platform as though to, to, to harm Walter Veith. This young man jumped out of his seat, ran up on the platform, and put his arms around him as to protect him. Very strange thing. A very strange thing. Then um, they had to move across the city to complete the, the meetings, they moved to another side of the city. It was quite a distance away, and to, to finish up the, the meetings. I don't know the reason for that, but that was the fact, the fact of the matter. And so the first night there, again, the audience was full. That seat was empty, and nobody filled it. Another meeting seat was empty. Then about the third night, the, the, um, in the side door, came this same man clear across town. Here he came again and sat in that very seat, went on that way for a few nights, and then um, next the meetings became rather unruly and, and some rude people were in essence threatening Walter Veith, and this young man went up on the platform and stood right beside him again. And at this point, Walter Veith, couldn't take it anymore. He took this young man by the shoulders with his both hands on his shoulders and said, Who are you? That young man did one thing. He pointed his arm to the heavens. That's all he did. And he turned around, walked off the platform, walked down the center aisle and out the door of that auditorium. And he never saw him again. Just three weeks ago, we went to It Is Written seminars that are held every fall across the nation. There's about eight of them in different big cities. Uh, one of their sites is Monterey, California. Um, we'd been down in that area previously when one of our children went to academy there. It had been many years, and um, fortunately, we left our map at home. But of course, you know, I knew the way. I mean, you know. Um, It was dark. Have you ever been lost in a large city after dark? Wanting desperately to get to the meetings they were starting and not wanting to miss anything. Have you ever had that experience? I turned off on a certain off-ramp off the freeway, went into the city of Monterey, not knowing where I was going, had no clue. And I had to turn. It was kind of a one-way street thing, and I had to turn around. So I, I went down a certain certain off, off road there, and suddenly it became very, very dark. It was absolutely dark. There were no street lights on that road, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was praying. I literally was praying, Lord. I had my wife and daughter in the car, and uh, Laura was supposed to be with us, but she was delayed on her trip, so otherwise she'd have been there experiencing this too. But in any event, um, I, w- I was. I stopped beside the road, and it was. It was just dark. It was pitch dark, and. I noticed that across the street a pickup drove up, and the man got out of the pickup. I didn't know what else to do but to roll down my window and say, sir, do you know where a certain place is, our destination? And he, he didn't know. He just walked over to our car. You know, it's pitch dark. I mean, is that sensible? I I'm not, wasn't sure it was, but yet I didn't know what else to do. So he got out. He came to Mona's side of the car and got out his little phone and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, he said, you need to go, and he gave us directions to where to, where to go. And I was very grateful. And then I, I rolled up my window, and the man went off in the darkness. I don't know where he went. Um, now, my friends, I'm not, I'm not saying that was an angel, but I'm saying it just might have been, because he, he gave us directions to where to go, and he just went off in the darkness. Uh, we arrived on time, and we're at our first meeting The, um, We were there for the weekend. Um, we heard the update from Pastor John Bradshaw, who's now the speaker director of It Is Written. Some exciting things are happening, and we're going to get into those in a little bit here. Um, one thing that It Is Written is doing that, that's outside the United States that's very exciting and shows that I think the end of all time is here, when Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, then shall the end come. A few years ago, who would have ever thought that the Kalahari Desert in Africa would be a place where the gospel would be given? Would you even dream that possible? Well, what it is written is done a few years ago. They decided, let's let's fix that. Let's do something about it. Let's follow Jesus' command, go into all the world. Out there, where the life expectancy is about 43 years, 43 years or less, they have no water. Virtually, they have to go out early in the morning and lick dew off of leaves and plants and things to get a little bit of moisture. Can you imagine such a situation? Um, so they decided to um, do something about their physical needs, as well as giving them somehow giving them the the gospel. They they don't have a written language. They have a guttural type language, and So what it is written sponsored was um, they decided to try drilling some wells. Well, who would drill a well in the middle of Africa in the Kalahari Desert? They discovered a huge lake underneath the Kalahari Desert of pure crystal clean water. They put down these wells. Well, they also thought, well, we shouldn't have mechanical kind of stuff here because they're going to break down eventually, and what are we going to do then? So they did solar-powered wells. They have something on top with solar power that runs the thing, and uh, water was gushing out there. Then they had another problem. Elephants can smell water miles and miles away from the water source. The elephants came in and just trashed some of those places, so they had to build big cement rock barriers around these wells so that the people would have a safe water supply. But once they had established that for the people, they got the idea... Let's put the Bible on a solar-powered iPod. Solar power. No batteries. You can't find a store to buy batteries in the Kalahari Desert. So they put solar-powered batteries. They put the whole Bible on these things. And these people, in their language, by the way, these are made in Israel. They're made in Israel. Somehow the language, there's a translator going on here somewhere. I don't know where, but it, it's made in Israel. And they now have supplied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these iPods in the Kalahari Desert to these people, along with the clear water. Uh, a few months later, Israel got the idea listen, let's, let's, put, let's go to New Guinea. New Guinea, you know, is very famous for, in the Second World War, saving hundreds and hundreds of Allied lives when the planes would go down and they could survive the crash. These uh, natives would protect them and bring them home to safety. Um, they also have a similar problem of how do we give the gospel to to these people. The answer, solar-powered iPods. They now have 1,000 iPods in New Guinea being used. Their goal is 10,000 iPods. 10,000 iPods with a gospel, the story, and children's stories on there, and the entire Bible. Who would have thought 10, 15 years ago this could even be a possibility? Things are happening all over the world Uh, Recently, in the South American division, there there was a weekend when they gave away millions of copies of of evangelistic papers, such as Our Signs of the Times. Millions in one weekend. Robert Costa is the It Is Written speaker in the Spanish language all over South America. Recently, they've had a huge evangelistic (laughs) effort there that went out to hundreds of thousands of people and tens of thousands of baptisms. Things are changing. Things are different. Um, He told of um, Robert Bradshaw and others there at the the meetings, told of some things that have been happening in Las Vegas. Last May, they decided to hold, you know, it's interesting, a couple of background things here. A few years ago, about four years ago, it is written when Sean Booster was then the speaker director, they, they periodically would go out to a special place and hold a hold a like an all-day meeting or a, a weekend kind of meeting and what they will do they will they will pray earnestly. The whole staff, the secretaries, everybody, pray about what should we do next? They after that session of prayer, an intense meeting, they said, well, I think we've decided to go to Portland. Would you believe they came back to their offices, the phone was ringing. The Oregon conference had just been in the same kind of session, pleading with God, tell us what we can do to have an evangelistic series in our city. In their minds came up, Sean Booster, it is written. The phone rang, and they said to, it is written, the headquarters, we've just been meeting and we're inviting you to come to Portland, Oregon to have meetings. Do you think angels might have been involved there? Um, this also happened in Las Vegas. Uh, the... The churches are few, the Adventists and Christians are few in this sin city, so-called. Um, they were also praying, what can we do to, to spread the gospel in, in Las Vegas, in Nevada? Same kind of thing happened. They contacted It Is Written, and they responded immediately and, and went there last May and held a four-night series of meetings on the gospel of Jesus Christ right in the middle of Las Vegas. Amazing things happened there. They found an auditorium that holds over 2,000 people, the Cushman Auditorium, and um, they filled it up. They had had to have two meetings a day, one in the one in the morning and one in the evening, to accommodate all the people who wanted to, to come. They advertised it widely all over that city, and that is the preparation for what's coming starting this January, just in a few weeks, a, a month-long series of meetings that's going to be held there in the same auditorium. But let me tell you just a few things that that came out of the meetings that we heard in Monterey about those Las Vegas meetings. A man and woman were walking their dog on the street, and um, they were walking along, and they saw an advertisement for the meetings. And the man, and these were not Christian people. The man uh, saw the ad, and he something stirred in him. He said, you know, hon, I want to go to those meetings. She said, I'm not interested. I, I'm not at all interested. I, I don't want to go. He said, well, I want to go. So they argued about it. So the end result was the man went and the woman stayed home. Well, every night the man the husband would bring home brochures that he got at the meeting, leave them on the table. His wife couldn't help herself. She started reading them. Those two people are now studying to become Adventist Christians. Uh, another lady called in. She was kind of reserved. She um, uh, was just asking, some. it's like the The person that just puts their toe in the water of Christianity, they want to get the foot in, just the toe, just to try it out a little bit. They want to jump in, all fours. But this woman called on the phone and she said, you know, I'm kind of interested in what's this all about and that kind of thing. Well, they got her, her address, so the Bible worker went to her house and knocked on her door, no answer. Went a second time, knocked on her door, no answer. Went a third time, knocked on her door, no answer. What am I going to say next? She went a fifth time, knocked on her door, no answer. But they, the Bible worker didn't forget this contact. And later she was answering the phones at the center that they'd set up in Las Vegas. And, and in came a call, and the Bible worker discovered that this was the woman calling that she was knocking on her door. And the woman was calling to protest this miserable Bible worker that kept knocking on her door, and she didn't want her to come anymore. And so they started talking, and they, the woman was arguing a bit with the Bible worker, and she finally said, listen, let's just let me pray for you. The woman said, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested. The Bible worker kept persisting. Let me just pray for you. Let me, let's pray together, arguing a bit about it. <laughs> and finally the woman said, okay. Okay, I'll let you pray for me. And after that prayer, the woman softened. Today she's studying the Bible to become an Adventist Christian. You think angels might have been involved there. Um, Now there's an amazing one. We were told this in good faith, by the folks there at it is written in Monterey 3 weekends ago there was a woman called saying i want to know i want to study the bible i want i want to know more about the bible studies that you're advertising and the person answering the phone said well where did you see the ad and she said well i saw a bulletin board on such and such a street and the man said back to her we don't have a bulletin board on that street she said yes you do i saw it it's right there and I'm calling in the result of that ad. And he said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry, but we don't have a bulletin on that street. We don't have a board there. She said, well, I saw it. Yes, I do. Uh, So she later made a a further contact, and the billboard what wasn't there, yet was there, but it wasn't there, resulted in this woman now studying to be an Adventist Christian. Um, I wonder if angels might have been involved in that one. Um, 1,000 people are now studying the Bible in Las Vegas as a result of these meetings and the upcoming meetings that will be occurring in the latter part of January and February. Um, Billions of people are now being reached by It Is Written, Voice of Prophecy, Faith for Today, all the other broadcasts, Walter Weith, 3ABN, all these broadcasts are going around this planet Billions of people are being reached. It is written estimates that they alone are reaching about a billion people with the iPods. You know, once I heard Sean Boonster talk about going through the airport. There was a young man over there waiting for his flight, had his little thing in his hand there, one of these modern technology things, I don't even know how to run. And and he looked at he <laughs> he looked up at Sean and he looked back here and looked up at Sean and, and he said, Hey, he said, You're the guy I'm looking at here. Uh, that's just a tiny little microcosm of what's happening. Okay, uh, part, of the, part of the meetings was a, um, an amazing thing. You know, Sean Boonstra, when he was in, in Rome recently, became very ill, and he had to go on with his meetings. By the way, a number of things happened that I have confirmed. I heard about it, and then I had to confirm it with John Badshaw three weekends ago. Sean Boonstra had a laptop computer that had everything on it Everything on it. The series of meetings for a whole month. Can you imagine everything on it that he was to use? Two days before the meeting started in Rome, some secretary or somebody was rushing by the table and tripped on a cord and the, the uh, computer crashed to the floor and was totally destroyed. He had to... John Bradshaw told me this himself three weekends ago. He said he had in two days reconstruct from his mind everything he was going to talk about at those meetings in Rome. Can you imagine? And he accomplished that fact in two days before the meeting started that first night. While he was there, two weeks into the meetings, he got very, very ill. And he had to continue the meetings and did so the rest of the two weeks. He had a four-week meeting. Uh, when he came back, he was so ill that he had to his heart was broken. He had to relinquish the chairmanship and the director-speaker that it has written. Um, some of you may know the story, and forgive me if I repeat it to those who do, but when he was seven years old, he lived up in the wilds of Canada, and with his brother, he would, um, this is Sean Boonster now, he would, um, every Sunday night, he would prepare to watch the wild, wonderful, the wonderful world of Disney, came on at 7.30, and they had an old black-and-white TV set, and um, before, and it had time to warm up. It took time to warm up about 15 minutes or so. So the boys would get under a blanket and look at that TV set. Guess what came on before the world of Disney? It is written with George Vanderman came on. And that little seven year old boy, something was plugged into his mind. It is written. The man holding his Bible, reading out of his Bible there. Years and years later, when Sean was a late teenager, he lost everything that his folks tried to teach him, and he was a rabble-rousing teenager. God had his hand on him. God had his hand on him. He didn't know it. One time he was living with another friend in an apartment, and um, he came into the apartment after a troubling day, and there on his bedside stand was a Bible. He does not know how it got there. He didn't put it there. His roommate certainly didn't put it there. He didn't know how it got there. God had his hand on Sean Boonstra. So you can imagine the agony when he got ill and had to relinquish after about seven years. They were diligently, prayerfully studying and praying diligently to God who can take the place of Sean Boonstra. Well, they have the name of John Bradshaw, and uh, he's now taken over as director-speaker. He gave his story at the meetings, and I want to try to relate it to you as best I can from memory, uh, as accurately as I can. He grew up in a Catholic home. Uh, when he was about nine years old, he became an altar boy. Uh, the folks were, in his words, fairly decent Christians, you know, of, of their faith. They, they weren't um, Bible-reading people, but they, were, they tried to follow along the best that they knew, and guide their children. Well, Sean, at nine years of age, an altar I mean, I'm sorry, John Bradshaw, nine years of age, an altar boy, the Catholic Church, he began to have questions. He would look at the idols on the walls of the Catholic Church, and the only thing that made sense to him was the one of Jesus with his head off a little bit, and the side was bleeding, and the hands were bleeding. That can kind of make sense to him, but the rest of it, he questioned, what, what's this all about? And as he went on into his teenage period, he kept questioning deeper and deeper and deeper, what is this all about? And certain things he couldn't handle, things like, well, can a man forgive my sins? It's really not what the Bible says. Can a man forgive sins? That came up in his mind at at the time. Um, Can the blood, can they make wine into the blood of Jesus? Really? Can this bread be made the actual flesh of Jesus? Hmm. So later in life, when he was now in his early 20s, he became a very vibrant, well-known um, radio personality in New Zealand, where he was growing up in New Zealand. And he became very popular, making a lot of money on a radio call-in show. He, had a, he was a co-partner with him. When he was in his uh, early 20s, somewhere around 23, 24, I believe it was, he decided, even with all that money staring at him for years to come, he decided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave New Zealand and see the world. I'm gonna see the world. And one of his desires was, in his own words, he wanted to sort out this religion thing a bit and see what he could, see what he could do. He wanted, in his own words, he wanted to find truth. Can you imagine that? He wanted to find truth. Okay, so this this boy goes over to England, and he uh, started going asking around for the Catholic cathedrals. So he would find them, and he would go to them. And in his own words, he said they just seemed cold to me. They just were just icy cold. There was nothing. There was no warmth there. And so he he visited a few, and then he decided, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over to Ireland. Maybe I'll find it there. You know, that's the seat of Catholicism too. Well. He said, all right, I'll go to Ireland. So he went into a pub and asked one of the people there, where's the, where's the best Catholic church in, in Ireland, in, in this area? And he said, well, it's down the street there, and he gave him directions. So he went on down there, and he had the same impression. It was cold. It just, there was no gospel there. There was no vibrant Christianity there. Coming out of that church in Ireland, he pointed his finger at the heavens and God and said, God, I will never go into another church until you show me what is truth. I will not enter another church until you show me what is truth. He gave that, hurled that challenge at God in Ireland. He then went back to England and he was just in great turmoil. By this time he had very long hair, way down here. He had a ring in his left ear and he looked quite a sight. And Somehow along the way, somebody had given him a great controversy. He started reading that, learned about the name of Seventh day Adventism. And so he asked and inquired where the Adventist church was in London. <laughs> and so somebody told him where it was in an address. So he, and now he's quite interested, and maybe I found something I can believe in. And so he, he went to this address, and as all it was was a door, just a door among some funny-looking buildings. And he said, well, I was expecting a cathedral. As all he knew was cathedrals. And so he opened the door. He said, well, I might as well check it out. So he went up this long stairway up to an upper room, it was a rather large room, and there were seven people in there plus the speaker. And five of them were old women and two older men. And he came in the back door Earring, long hair, disheveled looking, beard. In fact, he got a wavy beard, too, at that point. So you can get the picture of what he looked like there. Um, the pastor, fortunately, came back and talked to him and started discussing the gospel with him. And he kept going to, to those meetings. And finally, he realized that he had found what he was searching for truth in his, late, in his mid 20s. Um, he went back to New Zealand, um, became an Adventist Christian, spent about 10 years with Doug Batchelor as amazing facts, learned the gospel. He already had the gift of speaking. He had that down from his radio experience. God had his hand on John Badshaw when he did not even know it, similar to, similar to Sean Street. It's so just amazing to me how this, how this, how God does the, these things. Um. And then when It Is Written had their crisis, they put their finger on John Bradshaw to come and be the speaker, director of It Is Written. Sean Boonster had already arranged for these meetings in Las Vegas and and the entire concept of the meetings. And he wasn't able to to carry through with it, but John Bradshaw picked it up and running with it. And he's really a gifted speaker. We spent some time with him, talking with him at the meetings, and it was just amazing. This man has a gift of, of delivery, a gift of the gospel, a gift of warmthness, and, and just an amazing individual. So we were quite, quite thrilled to be able to meet him and understand the, uh, what is happening there. Um, okay, I would like to um, review then what we've, what we've tried to, to, to talk about. Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? unto those who should be heirs of salvation. Let me read a couple verses on from that. It puts it in more perspective even yet. Hebrews 1, a couple of verses down. So we just read, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Hebrews 1.14. Then following through a few verses down, How shall we escape if we neglect... So great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto them that heard him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Then then we remember the statement uh, that the, if the curtain could be drawn aside, Human beings would see angels passing through the length and breadth of the land, seeking to comfort the sorrowing, protect the impenitent, and win the hearts of men to Christ. We cannot see them personally. Nevertheless, they are with us, guiding, directing, and protecting. Then let's not forget Revelation. Revelation 4. Revelation 7, some of these great, great verses that tell us about the end of all things. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as also I overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. My friend, our job is to open up our hearts and our minds to the Lord. And in Revelation 4, we need to pause there for just a moment. We're living at the end time. We're living at the end of the seven churches in Revelation 3 and 4. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, that's me and that's you, Write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. We can't fool God. He can see right through us. He can see our mind, our thoughts, our motives. He sees everything. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert hot, cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich. I am increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, and that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and be with him. And he that has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. At the same time, Revelation 7 tells us, After these things I saw, John speaking, I saw the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth nor on the sea or on any tree. And why did he, Why is this verse there? The Bible answers the question, until the servants of God are sealed in their forehead and so that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then the end will, will come. I, I firmly believe that we are living at that end time and... Remember Jesus said in his own words, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall also it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And in that day there were eating and drinking, giving and marriage, until the day that the flood came and took them all away. And the Bible also tells us that there was only evil continually at that time. As we look upon our world, we see the same condition now. Um, And so... As the angels are holding the winds of strife, you know, as you look at the news and you see time and time again where you think it's just gonna bust out in the new in the in the Middle East, things are just gonna go, something seems to hold it back, something is holding it back. That's so this gospel can be preached in all the world, and so Jesus will come. So this morning, my I submit to you that I firmly believe that angels are among us. Angels are among us, even though we went, went when we don't know it. Just this week in my office, I had a experience I don't want to relate in closing. I had a man that came in. He had just been through terrible, terrible ordeal. He had a bypass surgery on his heart. The surgeon said, well, if you don't do it, you're going to die. And it was a prolonged course of about three weeks in the hospital, a miserable, miserable time. And the man survived it somehow. And... Uh, He was telling me about this. He said, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do it. He said, I don't care if I live or die. He said, it's okay. He said, I just wouldn't go through things. And and, uh, his wife was right there with him, and and she was, her look on her face, I looked at her face, and she was just puzzled and just worried and so on. And uh, so I got to talking to him, and finally he made a statement. I'm just waiting for those kind of statements among my patients, and just give me a little in. And I'm right in there. If the Lord, the Lord helped me to do that. But, but anyway, um, th- this man said, you know, he said, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be okay. And I thought, oh, there it is. That's my opening. So then we started talking about the gospel and about Jesus. And I said, well, is, do you really, you really believe the Lord, huh? He said, oh, yes, he said, my friends, if you could see him, it would be the last person on this earth that you would think would be interested in the gospel. The last person. He didn't look the part. He just wasn't the part. Yet he was interested in the gospel of Jesus. And he started telling me how vivid his faith was. In other words, he had so much faith that he would die tonight. It was okay with him. It was okay. Faith. I, I believe these kind of people are all around us. All around us every week. They're around us. We need to be alert and alive to talk to them. Jonathan is alive in this church doing this very thing and talking to people and and telling them about the gospel and and encourage them to come to church where they can learn more. So, Anyway, angels are among us at the end of time. I firmly believe this. Thank you very much. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to come apart a while and open your word and study. Learn about you, more about you. Learn about your wonderful gift to the men and women of this world. Lord, may we all accept your gift that you offer. My grace, he says, is sufficient for you. In Jesus' name, amen.